I was recently reading a book on the Western movement of romanticism, as you do in your free time. And to summarize what it was, is it's basically an 18th, 19th century movement of poetry and writing and literature and art that was resisting things like industrialization, resisting kind of the way that if people felt like science was pushing back the, the beauty of nature and the force. And it was just interesting. There was this guy named Wordsworth and his friend Coldridge who really launched this movement and they just wanted to return through their writings to the beauty of nature, seeing it as a place of rest, of quiet, of joy, of play, of laughter, of just like this, this place to like breathe. Why do I bring this up? Well, I am fascinated that when I read Psalm 23, it feels in some ways, particularly the opening, like it could have been written in this romantic movement. We are going through Psalm 23 this summer. So let me just read to you the beginning of this Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I read those verses and particularly the connection between like David pulling his shepherd imagery, his pastures and his waters and using that as an image of rest. And I thought, this is exactly what I had seen these romantic poets doing. So I started doing some digging. I started to see, is this like a universal thing to like combine our longing for rest with creation and nature imagery. And, and here's what I found. I found in 8th century China, the poet Wei Wing, I'm not going to say this right, Wei Ying Wu, uh, in his poem East of Town says this, in peaceful mountains, I won't worry. In a grove, I'll find rest. I found this uh, in modern day Nigeria by Niyi Osander in his poem, Hole in the Sky, talking about uh, ecological damage, says this, the chainsaw left a dirge on the lips of the leaves. There is a bird in my heart craving for a perch on the absent tree, the longing for rest in a place that no longer exists. And I found this from a Canadian indigenous woman, Candace Kagigans. The rain replenishes the soil, the stars they shine at night. It's all so beautiful, it's all such a sight. The flowers bloom while the birds sing. It's all so serene, especially in the spring. Started to make me wonder, why is it that in our deep longing for rest, we often turn to creation? It's what Jesus himself did when he needed to retreat. Where did he go? He went to the wilderness. Why is it that my assumption is for you, if you were to answer the question, where do you want to go for rest? Your answer is not going to be New York City. Your answer is probably gonna be some sort of like lake house in the forest or a beach house, somewhere where you can escape from people and just be quiet, away from the noise, away from distraction, away from expectation, away from society. Why is it that creation is a place that we associate with rest. Here's where I want to start today. I wonder if it's been programmed into us from the beginning. Here's what I mean. If you have a Bible or a device, turn with me to the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1, just at the end, and then going into Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis 1 has a consistent rhythm about it. It's where we read about God creating 
the earth. We read that in the beginning, on the first day, he made light. He said, let there be light. And then there's this rhythm that begins. In verse 5, we see that there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then on the second day, when he talks about waters, it also ends the second day with evening and morning the second day. And you go through, there was evening, there was morning the third day. There was evening, there was morning the fourth day. You see this rhythm all the way through. Finally, on the sixth day, God makes humans. And the seventh day, we are told God rests. What's fascinating to me is what's missing on the seventh day. Read with me on, uh, in chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. There's that rhythm. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And the story goes on. What's fascinating to me is what's missing. We don't see that rhythm there. We don't see there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. Here's why. The picture that we see in the creation story is that after God's made everything, what was intended is a day of eternal rest with his people. The garden story was intended to go on forever with God having made humans and made all creation in a moment of eternal rest. I just want you to hear this. You were created for eternal rest. And I think there's been something programmed into us from the beginning that we have this deep longing for rest and we think we might be able to find it in creation. So what does this have to do with Psalm 23? Well, here's what I find fascinating. In the part that we read, it opens with the Lord being our shepherd. He's the one who cares for us. And the very first place that we go next in terms of what this care looks like is rest. I just think that's dead on. You know, as a pastor, sometimes we have to struggle through contextualization. Like, how do you contextualize what greed looks like across all demographics, across the student who has no money and is just trying to get through school, to the senior who's pulling from a retirement fund, to the business executive, to the person living on the street? How do you contextualize all that? Or lust. How do you contextualize lust to the person who is just like, in puberty and experiencing hormones, to the one who is in the middle of an affair, to the person who is uh, a widow or a widower. Like, how do you contextualize it to all these different people? One of the things that's just really easy to contextualize, though, is exhaustion. My guess is you're tired. You're weary, tired of family expectations and dynamics and stress and hurt and pain. You're tired of work pressures and the responsibilities that you carry. You're tired of maybe not getting enough sleep. You long for more sleep, but you find yourself restless. You're tired of the constant noise that you hear all around you. You're tired maybe of your own failure. You're tired of the weight of your own mistakes in your past. You're just tired. We all are. So what do we do about it? What I think we have offered to us in Psalm 23, and particularly the beginning, is not just an acknowledgement of, listen, like there's rest for you. God will be your rest. What David is speaking out of is actually an authentic lived experience that has turned to a prayer to God. 
And we want to pull from him and learn from him and glean from his wisdom as to what this looks like for us. How do we find rest? The question that we drive with today is this. Asking God, hey God, where do I find the deepest rest possible? That's our hope. That's our prayer. And to that end, we dig in. So, Psalm 23, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. David here is taking that creation imagery, the place where we were created for eternal rest, and he's attaching it to his own experience of being a shepherd. It's fascinating to me that he chooses being a shepherd. He says wants to, he wants to lie down in green pastures, a place of life. He is, in fact, though, the king of Israel who would have been able to see all sorts of creation. He would have seen mountains and valleys and waterfalls and lakes. He would have seen the Mediterranean. Like, he has had all this before him, but he lands on green pastures. Here's what I think is so beautiful about this. When David pictures rest, he's not picturing the grandest moment of creation. He's just picturing something simple. Something that when you go to it, it's just like this sobering type of pleasure, this ability to just say, it's a place of rest, but it's also this place of joy. Here's the first thing that I think I want to point to. As David pulls this creation imagery into our understanding of rest, here's the first thing that creation is going to help us do. Creation helps us enjoy God. Here's what I mean. I think oftentimes when we picture what rest looks like, even if we get to the point of acknowledging what we see here in the psalm, which is that our rest must be in God, we get stuck because our rest is like something that we do out of duty, right? We, we think that if we just like rest with God, it looks like that, I don't know, super disciplined place where you're just like stuck in a closet and you're just like scouring the words of scripture or you're like praying and you're just like, like pouring yourself out. I think one of the important things to remember though is that rest without joy is just another obligation. See, what David is inviting us into is to say this, yes, the Lord is the one who makes us lie down in green pastures. He is the one who gives us rest, but he does it in places that just bring life to us. Here's one of the things that I think is really important for us today. We actually need to find areas where we are simply joyful in the presence of God. And I think one of the ways to do that is to actually step into creation. There's actual research behind this. There's research that shows that if you walk through a forest, you will actually uh, have better, like, like the way that you breathe will be stronger because the forest is like filtering the air for you. And so you will actually become happier as you walk through a forest. Your stress levels will decrease. If we want to learn how to actually be joyful in the presence of God so we actually can rest in him, I think one of the most beautiful things we can do is to actually go out into creation as the moment where we're trying to be with God. I think of uh, one of our pastors on staff who like one of his greatest places where he spends time with Jesus is on his motorcycle driving around in creation. There's just something about that where it merges joy with rest in the presence of God. And that is exactly what we're looking for. That's what David found in his pasture imagery, in his time as a shepherd. 
I just want you to know, like, I am not speaking into this as an expert at all. In fact, I am far from it. I was telling my wife that I'm doing a message that's just talking about, like, how we've been wired for rest in creation. And she says, oh, well, shouldn't we go take a walk outside in nature together? And my response was, well, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm just reading a book on it. I don't have to go outside. Her response was understandably, and I quote, no, that's so lame. You can't just read a book about nature. My goodness, stinking intellectual. Fair enough, I deserve that. I just want you to know though that I'm not coming here as someone who's an expert in this. I'm coming here as someone who's just trying to learn this, who like you is desperately in need of rest and is longing to find it in the one source that actually can provide it. So I come home lately, and after being in kind of like a, a, a job as a pastor that doesn't have anything very concrete, one of the joys in my day is to try and learn how to garden and just stick my hands in some dirt. And as I'm there, I'm just trying to like enjoy and notice the little flowers that are budding and actually just spend time with God in that place. Just like acknowledging God, like, you know how all this works. I don't, and I'm just part of it. It's actually a place of joy and rest and time with God all wrapped together. Creation helps us enjoy God. It's not the only thing that it does, though. Read uh, the, next, the next line. Yes. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures, but he also leads me beside still waters. Also in other translations, translated as quiet waters. A place of peace and of stillness. On the one hand, creation helps us enjoy God, but it also helps us do this. Creation helps us encounter God. There's some type of connection between rest and the quiet, still waters. And I remember first experiencing this when I moved to Burnaby. I grew up in small town Alberta, places of like 5,000 people, 1,000 people, 350 people. And then I moved to Burnaby and there was just people around me at all times and I didn't know what to do with myself. One of the things I didn't realize is that like I was just slowly becoming more and more anxious in that environment. And I realized it when four months later, I was back in my hometown of Didsbury, Alberta, and I I was walking to one of the many fields that you can walk to within five minutes of anywhere in town. And I realized it was the first time in four months that it had simply been quiet. For the last four months, I'd been surrounded by noise, by sirens, by car alarms, just constant noise. And for the first time, it was just quiet. I could feel almost like an unraveling of the tension within me. Could feel like the anxiety actually falling off and I could actually recognize instantly how much easier it was to discern the voice of God in this space. I just think this is so significant right now in a culture that is defined by noise. Listen to this quote by Ronald Rollheiser that is just haunting to me. Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. 
It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I don't, even, I don't even know for how many of us we even have a vision or actual experience of what it is like to go beside still waters. We are surrounded by noise, maybe literal noise, whether it's like crying babies, whether it is car alarms, whether it is the uh, fear of actually being in silence. And so we just put on in the background some sort of Netflix show, a radio station, uh, in conversations. I even feel myself just like, if it's just quiet, like, and there's only a conversation going, I feel the need to have some sort of music playing in the background. We do not like sitting in silence. We don't like the feeling of being alone with our thoughts. We don't like the boredom that comes with not having our minds wander away. And I think because of this, we actually are like reducing our ability to encounter the voice of God, to encounter him. So what do we do about this? I think we actually distance ourselves from these places of noise. I think we intentionally in creation find still waters. In the 13th, 13th century, the poet Rumi said these words, I have lived too long where I can be reached. I repeat, in the 13th century, the poet Rumi said, I have lived too long where I can be reached. What is that? 700 years ago, 800 years ago? What's that like now? Where we are constantly available to every distraction at all points in time even for many of us while we sleep, where we have our phones directly by our beds. We actually need to leave places of distraction in order to encounter God, and creation uniquely provides us this ability. So leave your phone behind, go somewhere, go on a walk, go into the forest, go to a lake, actually spend time where you can actually distance yourself from distraction and be, at a, be by the still waters. And I know some of you are thinking, like, this is just not realistic for me. Maybe you don't have the ability to get out anymore. Maybe you don't have uh, the ability, you don't have a vehicle or something. Maybe your health prevents you. I, I recognize these issues, and I just want to say this. There are still other opportunities. Ideal situation, you can go get lost in the forest. Some other examples, though. Take a walk in a park if you're able to. Start a little garden that you can work on. If all you can do is just find a tree and just be like amazed at the wondrous things that happen in a tree, I was reading somewhere uh, that this scientist, scientist uh, did some research on the canopy of a tree and found over 2,000 insects living in it. 2,000 uh, creatures might have been, even included some animals as well um, from over 200 different species. There's so much where we can just get lost from the distraction and just recognize, God, you are here. Creation helps us encounter God. But it doesn't just do that. This is the one in praying that I just like felt the need to really lean into. It's this last piece. Yes. The Lord leads me, or the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. Yes, he leads me beside still waters. But perhaps most significantly of all, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. 
also could be translated, refreshes my soul. Here's what's so significant about this. This is imagery not only just of rest, but it's also specific language that's used throughout Scripture about when someone has rejected God, rebelled against him, sinned, wandered off, and God being the one who is going to grab them and bring them back in and restore them. Here's the final thing that I think creation helps us to do. Yes, creation helps us to enjoy God, helps us to encounter him, but also significantly, creation helps us to have faith in God. Let me break this down for what I mean. On the one hand, you have the story of Genesis, where we were created in this garden for eternal rest with God. On the other hand, you have cities. In fact, one of the first cities that we hear about in Scripture is uh, from a story called the Tower of Babel. It's in Genesis chapter 11. And there's this significant verse that I want to read. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The image is given because the city, in contrast to the garden, which is eternal rest with God, dependence upon him, the place we were created for, the city was a place of we are going to make a name for ourselves. The city starts out in scripture as the place of human achievement. I'm thinking of the story of a pastor I heard from New York who says that all his life he looks around and he, he sees towers and he sees buildings and he sees structures that are just witnesses to the glory of human achievement. And he actually intentionally needs to, and he says he does this every week, just goes out to a place in the forest outside the city where he's like, some of these paths I'm not sure if people have walked on for years. And he separates himself from human achievement. Because here's the thing, if the question that we opened with was how do I find the deepest rest possible, it's actually not just going to look like the place where you just enjoy being and it's not just going to look like the place where you like can encounter God and have these great, these great voices. There's actually this piece specifically where he has to be the one to restore you. And the language that we often use for that is this language of faith. So let me break down what that looks like. The opposite of faith is human achievement. Human achievement is marked by when we are satisfied with our own accomplishments. It's marked in our current society kind of by like different seasons of life. So when you are younger, it's kind of like the certain mask that you have to portray before others. You have to live a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to do certain things. If you're in school, you have to score well. If you have to compete well, all these different things. You're trying to do things that you compare yourselves to others. You reach your 20s or your 30s and it starts to be wondering, man, have I, have I not done enough? I thought by this time I would have done way more. And you're seeing other people around you in this game of comparison. Are my achievements actually measuring up? And you get a little bit older, maybe into your 40s and 50s. And we kind of define this as a midlife crisis per se. And you're starting to wonder, you're reflecting back and wondering, have I actually like gone the right path? And you're wondering, do I need to do something else? Like, has, has this all been worth it? What's the point? Like you're comparing yourself to your peers and what other people have done and said like, I don't actually know if I went the right way. And then you retire and all of a sudden you have like no productivity in your life on a work level. All of a sudden your energies are depleted and you're still saying like, I just, I just wish I could go back to when I was able to do more. I just feel like I'm neglected. 
our entire cultural moment is marked by human achievement. We are defined by what we do, whether how much we earn, whether how much crop we yield, whether by uh, how much influence or friendship we have, we are defined by what we are capable of doing. And the story of scripture is that that is ultimately the place of death. See, this word soul, where we read that God restores our soul is not some sort of abstract concept. The idea is that the Lord restores every single aspect of your being, your emotional fatigue, your psychological trauma, your family dynamics, your work stress, all of it he restores, your anxiety and your fear, your lack of identity and insecurity, the spiritual fatigue and the weight of distance from God, he restores it all, but specifically he restores it. Our issue is faith is incredibly hard to understand in a world that is marked constantly by human achievement. What on earth does it look like to depend on a God where every single other part of life is defined by human achievement? Maybe that's why we need to get away. I think of the words of Peter Wollobin, where he says this. He is writing a book on trees, the hidden life of trees. He's not a Christian, but I am just struck by these words. Trees are, after all, majestic beings under whose crowns we seem as insignificant as ants in the grass. Trees for him are a place where he just goes and is just overwhelmed with his own insignificance. And I think that's just right. See, our everyday lives, when we are surrounded by our work expectations, by society expectations in cities are defined by our own significance and our fights for significance and our fights for comparison. And these things are the exact opposite of rest. What we see in scripture is that if God is the one who restores us, the place of rest is actually recognizing our own insignificance. It's recognizing our own absolute dependence. And this is what I found for myself uh, when I was in college, that I had a certain place outside of this small town already. It was like a thousand people in it, but I would go and I would walk away and this would be the place where I would actually go to find rest. It was on the corner of town and multiple times every year I would walk there and I could feel myself walking up to this place and just like there was just this joy that was coming. I was separating myself from all their expectations and I was just coming to a place where I knew this is where I meet with God. It was a place uh, free from distraction. I remember just being struck by the mass planes and just being seen like, God, all of this is yours. It was actually a place that helped me to encounter him. But it was also a place where frequently I just found myself on my knees in utter dependence and saying, God, I'm coming here because I have nothing left. I'm not trying to come here because I've done anything special. I'm just coming here because what I really just need is you. In the grand scheme of it, my significance is never enough. I, can measure, I cannot measure up. I just desperately need you. And every single time that I came to that place, I would walk back to my dorm room just with this deep experience of rest. Because I'd found a place that helped me. It was not about this particular place. Like that was not what rescued me. It was just a place that helped me find a place where, listen, I know I'm going to go there and I'm actually going to enjoy being with God. I'm just simply going to like it. It's not going to be some sort of duty obligation. I'm going to go there. 
and it's actually gonna remove me from the distractions. I'm not gonna take my phone, I'm not gonna go with others. I'm going there, in fact, usually late at night so that I can just be alone under the stars with God. And I'm going there because I desperately need him. And I'm in a place where what I have done doesn't matter. I'm, in, I'm on the plains of Saskatchewan. It's irrelevant. Who cares? My own insignificance is totally on display. But here I am under the grand stars, seeing for miles on end. And it's just a place that taught me dependence. And it's a place where I gained that type of rest. I think our deep desire is to find rest that lasts, that's not just in small little moments. And what the story of scripture says is this is impossible on our own. See, what we are told is that this rest was Israel's ultimate goal, the story that started in, in the garden of an eternal rest, a space with God forever, was fractured by sin, fractured by a reliance upon human achievement, on our own accomplishments, on our own quest for significance. And it was not until God sent his son, Jesus, who died, took the penalty of sin, resurrected, uh, resurrected on the third day and then ascended and essentially said, listen, I've already done it. I've lived the perfect life. I've done all the things, the accomplishments that you're trying to do. I've done it. And insofar as you are attempting to do it and fail, you will continue to walk the road of complete exhaustion. But insofar as you depend on me, the word that we use for that is faith, you will find rest. Some of Jesus' most famous words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So that is our desire. That is our prayer. That is our hope. And it is the belief that we see throughout Scripture and just in experience that creation actually helps us step into that place of dependence. So as you go into your week, maybe try and just schedule pockets where you can go meet with God in creation. See you next time.